Welcome to the podcast of Life Change Church, where we exist to love people to life change. We hope that this podcast is both challenging and encouraging to you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. We're excited you're here today. And again, we are jumping into our series entitled Jesus, which this has been one of the uh, longest series we've had, which has been fun, obviously, because if we're going to do a long series, we might as well do it on Jesus, right? So we start at the beginning of the year, and this is really going to take us all the way up into Easter. And this is why. This is why we're jumping into this, and this is why it's so important, because the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know God, right? The more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know our Heavenly Father. Right. So today I want to jump in and I want us to get to know Jesus in a different way. And I want us to get to understand his passion and his compassion for the lost. And we see this in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. But before we go there, let's just talk about things that are lost. How many of you have ever lost something before? Right. Some of you guys are like, I lost paying attention, my attention already, like I'm gone, right? No, <laughs> I think we've all lost something before, right? Many of us, we probably lost some things, maybe even today. Maybe we lost our keys on the way to church. That's why we came to the 1030 service, not the nine o'clock service, right? Maybe we lost our phone. And if you've ever been there before, when you lose your phone, you do, you feel like you're missing a part of who you are, right? So you're, it causes panic instantly, causes us to kind of freak out at moments past. You're like, what? Where's my phone? Check everything. And then you go look for it wherever it is, right? But I think we lose certain things and it's always, uh, it's never really fun to lose certain things, right? It always causes that panic. It causes us to do some crazy things, especially if what we lost has some type of value to us, especially if what we lost plays a purpose or we have it, it has a need in our lives, right? It causes us to, to do some crazy things. So this past week, I lost this little tool and you guys are like thinking, what is that, right? But what this is, this is actually the tool to change my dog collar on my, for my dog to change the uh, battery on the underground fence for my dog's collar. Now, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal when his battery dies because when his battery dies, my dog is a social dog and he likes to go play with every other dog around the neighborhood, right? So I got a call this week from one of our neighbors and says, uh, well, hey, your dog Max is out and he's playing with ours. It's okay. He's fine. But we're just going to bring him in the house as well. So we're like, all right, cool. So he had like the greatest day of his life. But I'm thinking, you know what? I need to make sure I change that battery so he doesn't run away. Right? So he doesn't go in the neighbor's pools. He doesn't do his crazy things. And we live close to a, a bike path as well. And he's the friendliest dog and just wants to pet and jump and hug everybody. But he will jump on people. So we're like, man, you know what? It's probably not the safest thing to do. So I went home, got all the dog stuff together, got it together, and I looked to see if I had an extra battery. There was no extra battery, but I did have my tool. So I was like, sweet, I'll take this out and then I'll order the battery on Amazon. And it was here the next day, which is amazing, right? How did we ever live without that before? But then, uh, so I took this tool and then I kept it and I'm like, sweet, the battery will be here tomorrow. I'll be ready to roll. So when the battery came, I opened it up and then I went looking for this tool. And I was thinking like, where did it go? Like, it couldn't have gone very far. So I started retracing my steps. I retraced my way back to the, to the uh, neighbors, and they're probably thinking I was crazy, right? I retraced my way through the garage. I'm going all over the house looking for this little thing here. And then I did what any married man would do. I blamed my wife because, obviously, she probably is the one that lost her, right? Turns out she didn't, and it wasn't a smart move to do that as well, but she didn't lose it. So, And then come to find out the next day, I found it, and the craziest place, it was in the dryer. So I must have left it in my pants pocket. But anyways, 
I did all these things to find this. And when we lose something of value, we do some crazy things, right? We'll search for places. We'll get down on the ground, look for things. We'll put our hands in couch cushions and in between couch cushions where our hands shouldn't go, especially if we have kids under the age of 10, because you never know what's going to happen there, right? We, we even will start a fight with our spouse thinking it's worth it because we want to find something that's lost, right? I think when we lose something of value, it, it means a lot to us. And we go crazy sometimes, right? It's who we are. And here's what I want us to understand about Jesus, right? Jesus is passionate about finding lost things too. Right? Jesus is passionate about finding and reclaiming the lost. And we see this in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32, which yes, is a lot of scripture. I was going through this. There's actually three parables that we're going to jump in today, but I think it's important that we say and we actually stick with all three of these parables. I was just going to show you one of them and we we're just going to talk about one. But if you look at the context, Jesus is talking to his audience and he's giving all three of these to, to really emphasize the point that he's so passionate about the law. So let's check this out. Luke chapter 15, we'll start here in verse one. It says this, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So again, before we jump into these three stories, let's just look at the audience that Jesus is talking to. Here he is in his audience. He had tax collectors. And if you know anything about tax collectors, they were really known as the scum of the earth. Right? They were basically lackeys for the Roman government where they would cheat people and skim off the top. Like they would charge people more for taxes. And then they would actually take that and line their own pocket for themselves. Right? They would overcharge people. They were known as really just being greedy cheats. So this is part of the audience. And then another part of the audience, they had sinners. Well, and sinners are obviously sinners, right? So these are people who had known moral failures. These are people who are guilty of certain things. And it might not have just been moral failures, but a lot of times there are some people who are just blatantly against the ritual laws of this time period. And these were known as the sinners, right? So you have this, you have the, the tax collectors, you have the sinners, but you also had religious leaders in the audience, right? The Pharisees were around them. And the religious leaders were grumbling, right? Because Jesus had gained a reputation as a man who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Basically, Jesus is hanging out with some bad people and it didn't sit too well with the religious leaders. Right? It didn't make sense. It was kind of controversial. In fact, it was even confusing as well. Right? It was confusing to the religious leaders because, well, they thought, they thought Jesus should have been judging and condemning rather than befriending sinners. And if you think about it, I think sometimes we do this too. We think it's, we do this really because it's easier, honestly, right? It's easier to judge and condemn than to actually love and befriend somebody else, right? It's easier to point out what's wrong in somebody's life rather than them to meet them at that place and walk with them, right? It's easier to point out, hey, you're in a pit rather than jump down in the pit with them and help them get out, right? It's easier to do that. And it's a lot less messy, right? It doesn't look spiritual or religious when we walk with people in their hard times. But this is what Jesus was doing. Right? This is what Jesus was doing. He obviously wasn't sinning because he was perfect, but he was meeting them in their place of sin. He's meeting them in this place of messiness. And he was pointing them to truth with love and grace. And when it was confusing to the religious leaders, but it was also confusing to the sinners. It was also confusing to the tax, tax collectors as well because they never experienced God in this way. Right? They never experienced grace in this way. They never experienced love in this way. Right? Here's Jesus and he's perfect and he was befriending them. And to them, it was completely unexpected, right? It was completely unexpected. And the truth is, if we look at our lives, right, 
Before, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you look at your life before you were a follower of Christ, before you're a Christian, you can go back and you can see that moment where it was unexplainable, right? Where it was unexpected, where you experienced the grace of God. Right? The truth is we've all sinned. We've all been a mess. We've all done things. And what changed us wasn't the judgment of others, right? But it was the love and grace shown to us in that time of trouble. I think if we call ourselves a Christian, we can go back and we can see that moment. And if you're not a Christian, right? If you're not a Christian, you're here today and you've never experienced it, listen, get ready. Get ready because at some point, God wants to show you his grace and it's unexplainable, right? It's unexpected. It feels unexplainable, but the truth is Jesus, Jesus is sharing who he is in this passage of scripture, right? And instead of overcomplicating it, what he does is he just gives us three simple stories, right? Three parables as well to show how passionate he is about the law. So check out story number one here in verse three. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Right, now this is interesting. Here's Jesus and he's telling this story and he's making it sound like it's normal for the shepherd to go after the one and leave the 99 by themselves, right? But in actuality, this is crazy talk, right? If you look at it, that's 1%. For most people, for most shepherds, right? The 1%, you would call it what it is. The 1% is lost and you would keep the 99. But Jesus is showing his passion here, right? And he's using this parable of the shepherd to show that he goes after the one. And it's powerful. It's such a powerful representation of God's love for us. In fact, the, the, the reason and the thing, how the fact he even starts with this past parable talking about a shepherd is incredible as well. Because the people here, the audience, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with these old scriptures. And in the Old Testament and in these older scriptures, they always used a shepherd carrying after his sheep as symbolic and as a metaphor for God and his love for people. Right? So this visualization, this visualization was real. Right? So Jesus starts off by showing how much God loves us, by showing the shepherd go after and chase after the one, which again was pretty crazy. Right? It was illogical, but that's the point. The point is, is that he's passionate for lost things. And then it gets even crazier here in verse five. And it says, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. So here's this shepherd that goes and finds this sheep. Now, if you're anything like me, I don't think I'd go after this sheep and then I find it, I wouldn't be joyfully putting it on my shoulders, right? Like when my dog runs away, I go chase after, I grab it by its collar and I drag the thing all the way home, throw it in his cage. I say, think about what you've done, right? But no, this shepherd goes after it and he joyfully chases after it. Then he puts it on his shoulders, which actually represents that he's caring for him. It represents this gentleness. And God has a gentleness when he chases after us. Right? His passion is gentle for us and finding us when we're lost. So this is what's happening. It says this. Then he goes on and says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Again, this is some crazy stuff, right? The shepherd went and found the sheep, right? Put it back on his shoulders and then he comes back and then he throws a party for it, right? Again, not normal. Goes against how I would feel. I'd drag the thing back, throw it in there. Then I'd go back, mad muttering stuff under my breath, calling the sheep what it is, right? And then I'd go back and update my assets and say, okay, well, at least we got 100 now. Fine, I'm going to bed. I'm done with this day. But this shepherd goes back and he throws a party for it, right? This shepherd's different. He calls his close friends together to share in his excitement. He makes a big deal over the lost sheep. And understand this, God makes a big deal over the lost as well. He makes a big deal over the lost. 
He makes a big deal. When you were lost, he made a big deal over you. If you're lost today, he's making a big deal over you. If you've got a family member that doesn't know Jesus, he's making a big deal over them. If you've got a friend, if you've got a coworker that doesn't know Jesus, he's making a big deal over them. Right? They're not just a statistic. They're not just a number. They're not just an asset. They're somebody that Jesus passionately cares about. And he wants to reclaim them. Jesus is passionate about finding and reclaiming the lost. Right? And that's just story number one. Story number two continues on here in verse eight. It says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? So here's story number two, right? Story number one, sheep, 99 out of 100, one's gone, so 1%, right? Story number two, one one coin is gone out of the 10. So we're moving up a little bit. We go from 1% to 10%. So we can kind of, it seems like there's a little bit more value. Logically, it may make a little more sense. And one of these coins is actually what's a, a drachma, which would have been equivalent to about a day's worth of wages back then. So again, a little more value. So the, the audience there is thinking, okay, maybe we can fall in line with this. We can see a little bit. But it's still laced with some incredible passion. Right? The parable talks about how the woman lights the lamp. Right? She sweeps the house. She does everything she can to find the lost. And again, check out what happens when she finds it in verse 9. It says, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right? She found the coin, and just like the shepherd, she threw a party. Right? Again, it was a big deal. In fact, what's crazy, she may have even spent the entire coin on the party itself just for the coin that she found. It seems illogical, but this is way over the top, but this is Jesus's point. Right? He's passionate about the lost because they have value. He's passionate about us because we have value. Again, if you look at this lady, right, regardless of the actual value of the coin, it had incredible value to her. And she's the one that determined it. She was reclaiming it, and in reclaiming it, she was bringing it back to its worth. This is what this lady does, and this is what God does with us. I don't know your background. I don't know everybody's story that comes through here, right? I don't know what you've heard about God. I don't know what people have told you about God. I don't know what people have even told you about yourself or what you believe about yourself. But I love this passage of scripture because I think regardless of where we're coming from, it's a great reminder that God values us, right? That God infinitely values us. That God eternally values us. And he values us more than others value us. And he values us even more than we value ourselves. And here's what's amazing about it. He doesn't base his value based on our accomplishments. It's not based on our education. It's not based on our family. It's not based on the things that we've done or not done, right? But it's based on who he says we are. The fact is, he says that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. He knew us in our mother's womb. He knows every moment of our life. He knows every dream we have. He knows every fear we have. He knows every failure. He knows every success. He knows everything that we've gone through, whether good or bad, and he still wants to reclaim us because he knows we have value. So I want to challenge you, don't let the world determine your value. It has no business determining your value. Right? But let God determine your value. You are who God says you are. So I love the song we sang today, right? Because it's so true. And I think we need to let it sink in. Right? We need to let it sink in. If you look at this woman turned her house upside down for that coin. God turns everything upside down for us because we have value. And what's amazing, if you look at this woman, right, she lost her coin. But just because the coin was lost, the coin didn't lose its value. Understand that. Just because the coin was lost, the coin still had value. And the same is true for us. Right? 
Just because people are lost, just because a person is lost, doesn't mean their value is lost. Just because a person is lost, just because you may be lost, just because your family member may be lost, just because a, a close loved one it may be lost, they haven't lost their value in the eyes of God, and nor should they have lost their value in your eyes as well. Every person on this earth, whether they've done good things, bad things, evil things, beautiful things, is still valuable to God. In fact, he sent his son for all. He sent his son on a death mission for all of us. He sent his son to live a perfect life, die on a cross, and be risen again for us because of our value. As if you ever wondered just how much your value is, here's your value. Here's what you're worth. You're worth Jesus to God. That's the payment he paid, so that's your worth. That's the price he paid. So that's your value. Or you may have walked in here today feeling overlooked. You may have walked in here today feeling undervalued. Or you may have walked in here feeling like you missed your chance, feeling beat up, all that, right? You may have walked in here feeling that day just feeling lost. But understand this, God sees value in you. He was willing to give his son for you. Or you are worth Jesus to him. Right? And just because you're lost doesn't mean you lost your value. Jesus is passionate about that. He's passionate about uh, getting you to understand that. He's passionate about finding and reclaiming what's lost. So let's check out story number three. Story number three starts here in verse 11. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Now, typically, this portion of Scripture is referred to as the story of the prodigal son, right? As if there's one lost son here. But I kind of want to look at this a little bit different. Again, if you remember, Jesus has an audience of, of sinners and tax collectors, but he also has an audience of Pharisees as well. So in this, in the story, there's two sons. There's a story of the one that's lost, and then there's the story of the older son as well that's actually lost in a different way. Right? So it goes from 1% being lost, one out of the 100 with the, with the sheep, then it goes one out of 10 with the coins, and then it goes a, a two for deal, two for two here with the sons, if you really look at it, right? And this is crazy, though, because it shows that Jesus is passionate about the lost regardless of how they're lost. Right? And it shows this through the father who's, who's passionate about his son. So check this out, verse 12. It says, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, there and squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in, the whole, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So here's the portion I think that we're pretty familiar with, right? Here's the young son, gets all the inheritance, says, dude, I'm out. I'm going to go party. I'm going to go hit it up in the old school clubs, making it rain everywhere, right? And then pretty soon, he loses money. He's thinking like, what? I thought it was a for sure deal that I would just continue to have money and party all the time, but it's gone. Uh-oh. What am I going to do, right? So this is where this guy finds himself. And this is what happens. This is how I sometimes think, like, if we fall down this line of sin, it will take us to a place where we never intended to go. Because sin is a, is a crazy thing, right? It's pleasurable for a season, but the consequences will always catch up with you no matter what. And here's the thing about sin. It always overpromises and underdelivers. And this is where this guy's finding himself, right? So check this out. Verse 15, it says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here's Jesus again. He's highlighting the absurdity of sin within this guy's life. And again, he's showing that sin doesn't make sense. He's showing that sin will rob you of the life that God intended for you. Sin will leave you feeling abandoned. Sin will leave you feeling alone. Sin will leave you feeling desperate, right? And we can get caught up in it, and it will take us to a place where we never planned to go. And this is where this brother was. Right? This is where this younger brother was. And eventually, 
he has this come to Jesus moment. Right? But this is actually Jesus talking, so it wasn't a come to Jesus moment. It's just the story is saying, you get it. Right? But anyways, verse 17, check this out. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your own hired servants. So here's this guy, right? Realizes that he's in the dumps, realizes he's got nothing to go. He's going to go, you know, I got to go back. So just like many of us, what do we do? Our first setup is that we're going to put a plan together to make a speech that will we'll get them and they'll, they'll feel bad for us so they can take us in. So here's this guy, and he's thinking, like, man, starting off a speech, he's like, well, see, what had happened was, like, I was making it rain, and then the, the rain stopped, and no, right? He was getting all these things together, and then he goes to his father. He says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, let's just stop and look at that phrase right there, still a long way off. You look at this, that shows so much about God's heart. It shows so much about who God is. It shows much, so much about who Jesus is. Right? God's not just standing on the porch, cold and aloof, waiting for us to make speeches to convince him that we're sorry. Right? Listen, long before we ever did anything, God was searching for us. Long before we ever responded to an altar call. Long before we ever checkmarked the box on, on a connection card in the back, right? Long before we ever served at church. Long before we ever even quit doing stupid stuff, God was still looking for us. He was watching for us. He was waiting for us, searching for us. And then when we turn towards Him, when we repent, He runs towards us. Like this story shows this ridiculous truth, this ridiculous grace that God extends to us. Let's keep going. Verse 21, it says, Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Think about this. Here's this son, and you know he's been walking for a while. He's working, has this whole speech going through his head, right? He's thinking like, I'll say this because this will really play to this. The compassion part of my father, he'll know that I'm really sorry when I say this aspect of it. So that's point B. Like he's playing all these things. He comes to his father and says, I've sinned against you. But his father basically says, shut up, kid. Let's have a party. You're back, right? Let's do this, right? Again, this is crazy stuff, but it reiterates points one and two. It reiterates parables one and two. Something's lost, something's found, boom, let's party. Let's celebrate that it's found. Let's celebrate that it's found. This is interesting. It shows the passion that Jesus has in finding the lost. And check this out. It's not just the lost who have sinned. It's not just the prodigal, but it's the lost in different ways as well. Because if you look at it, again, the people that are listening to this, Part of the people in the audience were the, were the Pharisees. And Jesus still actually had compassion on the Pharisees in a different way. Right? They were lost in a different way. So you see this, though, through the story of the older brother, which continues on here in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in his field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? He says, Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Right? So here we see 
We see two sons outside the house. One runs in sin, but then the other comes back and he realizes that his brother's back and his dad throws a party for him. He's thinking like, this is ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Like, he's thinking like, this isn't right. Like, this is some messed up stuff. So what he does is he does what any mature person would do is he stands outside the house and pouts, right? But it's interesting. It's interesting. though. If you look at it, you see the younger brother. Obviously, the younger brother is the picture of the deception of sin. But if you look at the older brother, it's really the picture of the deception of religion. And here's what we can gather from. You can know all about the Father. Right? You can know all about the Father. You can be even around the Father, around His presence, doing things right, but still miss out on the relationship with Him. You can still be lost. And if you look at it, this is where the older brother was. Right? He was standing outside the party. He was lost. I think if we're honest with, with ourselves, some of us, this is where we find ourselves. This is where we are. But check this out. It goes on and says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Right? His father went outside and pleaded with him. Again, his father chased after him. Right? But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I think it's so interesting portion of the scripture. Like if you look at the father, his posture, right, his position was the same towards both children. He went to go meet them both. Right? He went to go meet the younger son, the prodigal son, but he also went out to meet the older son as well. And he invited them into the house. He invited them into the party. Right? He went out searching for them. And what he was searching for was relationship. If you look at it, it talks about the, the father's value system. And it's all the father cares about is the relationship with the sons. Right? That's what motivates him. That's what makes his heart beat. And the same is true for God with us. He desires relationship. In fact, he celebrates relationship. Right, this last verse in 32, it says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He came back to relationship. Right? He came back to family. Listen, Jesus is passionate about finding and reclaiming the lost. He's passionate about finding and reclaiming family. He's passionate about finding and reclaiming those lost relationships. And his passion is led by grace. And understand this, this grace, this grace is extended both who have committed the crime and to those who have judged the crime inaccurately. So maybe for you, maybe today, maybe you're like the younger son. And maybe you're like the, the prodigal, right? Maybe your sins have made you lost. Understand, Jesus has grace for you. But maybe you're here today and maybe you're like the older son. Maybe you're like the, the crowd, the part of the audience that's the Pharisees, where you've fallen into legalism, right? where you let your self-righteousness make you lost. That's not what you understand, that Jesus has grace for you as well. But what we have to do is we have to respond to it. Right? We have to respond to his grace. We have to respond to his passion. And here's how we respond. We respond by becoming found. I don't know if there's an actual verb that says becoming found, but we're going with becoming found. And really, how that starts, it starts with the decision for Jesus. It starts with committing our lives to Him. 
It starts with asking him to be our Lord and Savior. Listen, after every service, we always tell you, in just a moment, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, hey, pull out your connection card and seat back in front of you. You don't have to now. You can if you want to, right? But I say this because we want to give you an opportunity. We want to give you to an opportunity to respond, and that's what we have to do. Jesus is passionately searching for us wherever we find ourselves, whether we find ourselves lost to sin like the prodigal or whether we find ourselves lost to religion like the Pharisees and the older brother. He's passionately searching for us, and we have to respond, and we respond by making a decision to follow him. So so maybe some of us, maybe we've never made a decision when we're here today. Listen, I want to challenge you. Before we leave today, I want to challenge you to checkmark the box that says, "I I want to make a decision for Jesus. For some of us, maybe we've been chasing religion instead of relationship. So our decision is that we're chasing after a relationship instead of the religion. Listen, whatever it is, I want to challenge you to respond. And then not only do we respond by, by becoming found, we respond with repentance as well. Right? If you look at each one of these three stories that we talked about, each one of these three parables, you see that they celebrate over repentance. Right? Repentance is a big deal. And this is where repentance is. It's turning towards Jesus. I think a lot of times we always say, hey, well, repentance is turning away from the sin. And yes, it is. But understand this. We have to have something to turn towards. We have to turn towards Jesus. So for you, think about that. What's what's the thing that you need to turn away from so that you can turn towards Jesus? Again, maybe if you're like the prodigal son, maybe there's a sin that you go back to. Maybe you're always searching for that season of a, a quick excitement, whatever it is, and you try to get that rush from sin, and you keep going back and keep going back, and it leaves you empty. You know what? It's time to turn away from it and turn towards Jesus. Listen, whatever it is, I want to challenge you to repent from it. Listen, maybe for you, maybe again, maybe you're like the, like the Pharisee. Maybe you're like the older brother, and maybe your sin is judgment. Maybe even call yourself a Christian man in church for years and years and years, and what you've been doing is you've just been passing judgment on to others for so long that you're actually missing out on the grace that God has for you. So I want to challenge you to repent. Turn away from that judgment and turn to God. Maybe for you, maybe it's resentment. Maybe for you, you're like the older brother who's like, man, I've I've been coming to church ever since I was born. I've been following all these rules. I'm here all the time, and yet there's people getting baptized. Their life was just a mess. They got to do all these fun things, but I never did, and now I'm a little bit angry about it, right? There's this resentment that builds up, and honestly, we can do that, and it can hurt our relationship with God. And for some of us, we're letting that fester. We're letting that become a sin issue that's separating us from God. Listen, I want to challenge you. Turn away from it. Turn away from it and turn towards Jesus. If you're bitter, turn away from that bitterness and turn towards Jesus. Respond with repentance and then respond by celebrating. Listen, it's a big deal. A decision for Jesus, right? Repenting from something. It's a big deal and it involves a party. If you look at three of these parables, right? There's a big party involved. Somewhere along the lines, I think we made Christianity boring. Listen, it should be the most fun thing ever, right? It It should be a blast. If you're not following Jesus and having fun, you're doing it wrong, right? It should be a blast. We need to celebrate certain things. First service, we had a celebration of a, of a child dedication again today. It was amazing. It's just a celebration of a family who is saying that they're going to raise their child up to make a decision for Jesus one day, right? Through prayer, through all these things. Like, that's a huge thing. We had two of them last week. We had baptisms last week. Right? It's a celebration. Listen, I want to challenge you to celebrate. Celebrate the things that happen in your life. Right? Make a big deal about it. Throw a party about it, right? Listen, if you haven't been baptized yet, this is our chance to celebrate with you. So maybe you're here today, maybe you've made a decision for Jesus and you've never been baptized. Listen, let's make it happen. We'll make it happen as soon as possible. If you've been around baptisms last week, again, we make it loud. We have fun with it. It's a blast. So if that's you, you can actually put that on your connection card. There's a box that says, I want to be baptized. If you have an older connection card that might be dragging around, you can just write it down. But I challenge you to do it. 
Baptism is this. It's the first step of obedience in following Christ. And it's going public for Him. And it's celebrating what Jesus is doing in your life. If you haven't done it yet, listen, do it. It's amazing. I mean, celebrate. Celebrate with others. And this is why we do life groups. It's a chance to celebrate what God's doing in our life. If you're not in a life group, I challenge you to jump in, respond by celebrating with others. And then once we respond, we need to copy Jesus. And we need to copy his passion for the lost. We need to search for the lost with the same passion that he has. We need to search and reclaim and giving people value that they really are. We need to search for the lost. We need to invite Invite people into relationship. Invite people into our, to our sphere of influence. Invite people into church, right? Invite, invite, and do it with grace each and every step of the way. As again, we have three services coming up in Easter, so this is just a great time to start inviting people, right? So do it. I challenge you, right? And then copy his passion by celebrating people as well. Listen, we need to make a big deal over other people's life change. We need to make a big deal over other people's experience with God. I think sometimes we can sit there and be jealous. Well, I didn't experience God that way. Well, Start celebrating there as I bet you'll see some God do some amazing things in your life as well. We need to celebrate people that come through these doors. Listen, we've seen that if you're a first-time guest, we're so pumped you're here today. We've seen a lot of first-time guests over the last few months, and it's amazing. We're just celebrating all those that have been here. We're celebrating all those that have been here since the five years we opened the doors, right? So, but we're celebrating people. And listen, we have what's called a first impressions team. What that is, there's some greeters, there's some parking lot attendants on there. That's like intentional. We put that because we want to make people feel welcome. But the truth is, we are all part of the First Impressions team. We all need to be celebrating anybody that walks through these doors. So listen, if you see somebody that you don't recognize, then go introduce yourself to them, right? You don't have to ask them this is their first time here. You might be the first time here. You just like to talk to people, right? That's cool. But, But listen, go talk to somebody you don't know and just say, hey, you know what? I'm excited you're here today. My name's Billy. Actually, give me your real name. That might be the best thing to do. But just introduce yourself to them and connect with them, right? Celebrate the fact they're here. Be excited about it. Let's celebrate others. Let's copy Jesus' passion for others, right? Jesus' passion about finding and reclaiming the lost. And we need to respond, and then we need to copy that, right? If you would, pull out your connection card in the seat back in front of you. And maybe you're here today, and maybe for you to respond, maybe it is. Maybe it's making a decision for Jesus. Maybe for you, maybe you've never done that, or maybe you did, but you walked away. And maybe for you, maybe you just need to check mark that box. If that's you, do that. And then believe that Jesus gave his life for you. Believe that God sees so much value in you. Believe that God sees so much worth in you, that he actually paid the penalty, that he paid the price of his own son for you. And accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, check mark that box. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Receive his forgiveness for your sins. Make that decision by responding to his passion for you. Maybe here today, maybe God's asking you to do something. Maybe for you, again, maybe it's responding. Maybe, maybe you've been leaning a little bit toward, towards the religion side, not the relationship side. And God's saying, you know what, it's time, to, it's time to up the relationship. That's you, write that down. Maybe for you, maybe God's saying, you know, copy my passion towards others. Maybe there's somebody that you need to invite. Maybe there's a name that you need to, that's on your heart that you've been thinking about. Listen, write it down, and I want to partner with you in praying for that person. I want you to be able to go invite back by prayer. If that's them, write it down. I'll be praying for that person with you. Whatever it is that God's asking you to do, write it down and know that we want to journey along with you. There's also a place for prayer requests as well. Yeah, we take these cards very serious. It's our way to track and journey with you. They are confidential. I'm the only one that's going to see them uh, or a part of our prayer team. But again, it's confidential. But we just want to let you know that you're not alone. And we want to journey with you and track with you. So if you would, take this moment to fill that card out. 
and to also get any tithes or offerings ready. And then Daryl will be up in just a moment to explain the next steps. Thank you for listening to the Life Change Church Podcast. If you were here today and you were listening and you made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to hear about it. Or maybe you're here and you're listening and that God is asking you to make the next step with whatever that it is in your life. We would love to hear about it and partner up with you. If you would, go to www.mylifechangechurch.com and under the media section, please fill out the contact us information and let us know if you made a decision to follow Christ. Let us know what God is asking of you. And if you need prayer, we would love to partner up with you in prayer as well. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that it both encouraged and challenged you. Have a great week.